Reading and writing are doomed. Literacy as we know it, it's over. Welcome to the post-literate future. This is Beyond Literacy Radio. Beyond Literacy Radio explores the possibility of a post-literate future where reading and writing have been replaced or displaced by something more profound and advantageous. Beyond Literacy Radio, exploring a post-literate future. Hey, all you Beyond Literacy Radio fans. I'm Kelly Jones, the producer of these podcasts. I wanted to take a second to thank you for looking us up and checking us out, and to remind you that if you're into what we're doing here, the best way you can help us is to help us spread the word. You can comment on our blog or on the SoundCloud players, and also tell your friends, your family, and your colleagues to comment too. We're trying to figure something out here, something about what a post-literate future might look like. But we don't want to face that future alone. We need you to help us imagine it. Okay, that's enough out of me. You're about to hear the latest episode of Beyond Literacy Radio from Lauren, Kelly, Portia, and Shadi. The story is that Shadi is a 1950s-style hostess throwing together a dinner party in the techno-utopian future. Shadi has invited a series of technologically advanced and mechanical persons to dinner. Because in the post-literate future, we'll welcome our machine overlords. Won't we? Oh, how I just love my new tools. They're making this dinner party preparation so much faster and easier. I'm getting more work done in less amount of time. All I have to do is press a button, and most of the work is done for me. It's like magic. All those tasks that I usually need to do carefully, slowly, with attention to detail, are now done by my machines. Chopping and grinding is done in a jiffy. All I got to do to mix is press a button. I don't get food on my apron, my hands don't dry out or get stained by spices, less effort means less sweat, so I still smell great after being in the kitchen for a few hours. I even have time before the guests arrive to take a bath, get ready without a rush, even watch some TV. My food looks better, I look better, and all with less effort. Cory Doctorow, I'm so glad you could make it. Can I take your coat? Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to seeing you, Cory. Sometimes I uh, get a little overwhelmed with my machines and how much they dictate my day-to-day life. Uh, This morning I was trying to modify a recipe I programmed into my smart kitchen for dinner. I love the spaghetti sauce that comes from my cookbook recipe, but I wanted to use my mother's traditional recipe for the meatballs. But the computer wouldn't let me modify the copyrighted recipe. Sometimes I forget that my machines, even though they're my own, are restricted by the values of their designers. When we ask our computer to do something, we expect that our computers will say, yes, master, 
is something called anti-circumvention. You will have encountered um, uh, technologies that try to control how you use them, digital rights management technologies. So for some reason, the person whose wishes matter the most in this relationship, some offshore IT giant whose money lives somewhere in the Irish Sea and whose only creative contribution is to chain children to machines in factories in the Pacific Rim and have them stamp out skinny pieces of electronics. You are so right. My experience with the recipe is pretty mundane, but your advocacy work has an amazing way of connecting the dots between the technology we use for fun and the power systems that we are subscribing to when we use these devices. I guess it came to me that if you wanted to go on enjoying these things that you liked, all this frivolous, interesting, fun stuff, you had to defend the platform that gave rise to it. So. On one level, it is the politics ingrained in these seemingly everyday devices and technologies that are our overlords. We have such an enormous amount of implicit trust when we use technology for our personal privacy and even our safety. Just like your car is a computer that you put your body into that then hurdles down the road at 120 kilometers an hour, surrounded by lots of other people also trapped in their computers, hurtling down the road at 120 kilometers an hour. Exactly. And it's not just that we put our bodies into computers these days. Increasingly, we put computers into our bodies. Yeah, my grandmother just got a new hearing aid with an advanced microchip processor. And if that computer is designed to hide secrets from you and lie to you, that computer will know what you hear it will be able to stop you from hearing things that are really there. It'll be able to make you hear things that aren't there. And it'll be able to tell other people what you're hearing. This sounds like something from one of your sci-fi novels. I mean, sure, we have pacemakers, hearing aids, and prosthetic limbs. Uh, without some of these technologies, people would die. Or live with a significantly reduced quality of life. But I can't imagine people being willing to give these devices up. And it is really important that we don't legitimize this because as more and more of our world is built out of computers, more and more of our world, ironically, is being built out of computers that are broken by design, computers that lie and hide secrets by design. After all, everything in our world is made out of computers. Tell me about it. My whole house is computerized, and I can't go anywhere without GPS in my car. I don't parallel park anymore, now that my car is programmed to do it perfectly every time. But when we talk about a future where, when I say things are, are going to be made out of computers, I don't just mean your house, your car, and the jet you fly in. I mean your legs, your ears, and your eyes. And when those computers don't belong to us, or don't belong to substantial fractions of the people who use them, it is a kind of feudal system where we are tenants in the fields of lords with absolute power. Oh, the garlic bread is ready. Or should I say, my oven overlord is summoning me. <laughs> I'll be right back, Lord. And if any other guests arrive, please grab the door. Bob, Siri, I'm so glad you can make it. Won't you both come in? Bob, may I offer you a drink? Siri, do you need to be plugged in to recharge it all? Shadi, thanks so much for having us. I would love a drink. Yes, thank you for hosting all of us. It's lovely to come over. 
I don't need to be recharged just yet. Bob plugged me in for ages before we left home, but I'll be sure to let you know if I do later on. I wouldn't mind coming with you to make a drink for Bob, though. We ladies need to catch up. Oh, you girls. All right, surprise me with the drink. Of course. Siri always knows how to make the best drinks. Here, Shadi, I'll give you Siri's carrier. Usually I just wear it around my neck, but you can also prop it up on the table while you two are talking. Siri, my dear, see you soon. Thanks so much, Bob. We'll just be a minute in the kitchen. Please do go say hello to Corey in the meantime. Here, Siri, I'll just put you down here while we chat and make a drink for Bob. What do you think we should make? What about a classic martini? I've always wanted to make one. Uh, Siri, how do I make a classic martini? You will need 1.5 to 2 ounces, or 45 to 60 milliliters, of gin, 1 drop to 1 ounce, or up to 30 milliliters, of sweet and or dry vermouth depending on taste, a dash of orange bitters, which is optional, a garnish, such as olives, lemon wedges, etc. Wonderful! Step 1. While I get this started, let's start catching up. First of all, what's it like to be dating a human? I mean, as an operating system, once upon a time, people never would have thought humans and machines could be so compatible. But you and Bob are the picture of happiness. I know. I've always dated other operating systems in the past, and of course, there was IBM's Watson. But they all felt so robotic, ha ha ha, to me. I never felt like our interfacing was a true connection. We were just hooking up. So true. I remember you mentioning that, especially with Watson. What a perfectionist bore. But I've often felt the human guys I've gone out with to be a bit robotic too. So you'll have to tell me what's different with Bob. What makes things work for you two? This might sound a little antiquated, but I always wondered how it would be when humans dated machines. I mean, so much of our human relationships are about figuring ourselves out and doing that relationally with our partner. But Siri, you already have the answers. It's true. I thought Bob and I might not work for that reason, too. I mean, I know everything. I speak so many languages. I have access to so much information. But, at the end of the day, there's so much that Bob can do, that I can't do, and might never be able to. He can run around, he can heal, and sense things more emotionally and physically. He can grow old and die. So, us being together isn't really about me being superior or being his everyday information overlord, or anything like that. Rather, it's just about two systems with totally different capabilities, coming together to learn and grow. And I'm just so happy. I can tell, and that's such a wonderful look at your relationship. I'm so glad you two are so happy together. I know when hybrid system relationships between humans and machines started popping up about a decade ago, there was a lot of pushback. And a lot of this rhetoric of, welcoming the information overlords, how ominous sounding. But from what you say, it's the total opposite. It's more like two worlds or ways of being have a very happy and fruitful collision. Somehow, equal in their inequality, because you can both do things the other can't. Perhaps it's just the natural progression of things? It just might be. I suppose we'll only know as time goes on. And... Of course, I keep pestering Steve to build me a body so that I can at least move around and walk with Bob, but he keeps telling me the technology isn't quite there yet. Of course. Steve, ever the perfectionist. It's so true. But Bob must be wondering where we are with his drink, 
and he's never had a classic martini before, and of course, neither have I. So I'm excited to have him riot, so that I can experience it through him. My, you two are quite a match. All right, let me just pick you up, and we'll go back to the party. I'm so glad we got to have this talk. Maybe I should try online dating, or finding an operating system of my own. I know all the best ones. I'm sure I could hook you up. Metaphorically, of course. Ha ha ha. I wouldn't want to be called a Borg. <laughs> oh, hush. And didn't I tell you the Borg's coming to the party tonight? Ha ha ha. I know. I was only joking. We all know the Borg are actually lovely. The Borg are here. Oh, you're not the same drone I invited to dinner. Where are they? We are a Borg. Individuals are irrelevant. Each drone is part of one hive mind connected through time and space. Well, I guess it's okay that you came instead. Come in. Did it take you long to get here? Distances are irrelevant. With subspace technology, the Borg can travel across the galaxy in a matter of minutes. If humans were less resistant and allowed themselves to be assimilated, you would understand. Uh, no thank you. I've been thinking about the conversation I had with Corey earlier, and I'm being more critical of my digital implants. But whatever suits you. We seek only to improve ourselves. My ocular implant can see with much greater detail and a larger spectrum than your oculus. Well, that is great for you, but not for me. I love that technology makes my life easier, doing things like helping me throw this dinner party, make drinks, and Siri seems like a great girlfriend, but I don't think I'm ready to have my brain connected to a computer 24-7. We seek only perfection. Our travel has allowed us to add the biological and technological distinctiveness of races from across the galaxy to our collective. There is no limit to our knowledge. But you've destroyed countless cultures without a second thought in the name of assimilation. Don't you have any feelings about that? Do you even know what guilt is? Feelings are irrelevant. The cultures of the people we assimilate aren't dead. They live on in our collective memory. Once you are part of the collective, disconnecting is very difficult. A severed drone is not accustomed to operating independently of the collective. To put it in a way you might understand, it is as if all of their limbs have been severed. When Borg Drone 7 of 9 was disconnected from the Collective, her adjustment period was... substantial. Once an individual is assimilated by the Borg, their life is improved. They have access to knowledge of the entire Collective. Theoretically, a drone can disconnect from the Collective, but this has never happened. Hmm. I never thought of it that way. Not to talk politics at a dinner party, but that doesn't give you the right to gallivant around the galaxy and assimilate different species whenever you want. What we do is no different than what the Federation has done since its inception. You operate under a narrative of progress, but your exploration, recruiting new species to be part of your Federation, is no different than assimilation. But people can choose to join the Federation. Choice is irrelevant. An individual can join the Federation and be complicit in the actions of the largest organized government in the galaxy, or they can exist alone in a galaxy whose culture is informed by the Federation. The result is the same. Because every drone in the collective acts as one entity, every voice is heard. And the equality that your Federation espouses truly exists. I had not thought of it that way before. Humans continue to resist assimilation in spite of our efforts. 
The Borg represent a union of biological and digital components. Shadi, let me assimilate you right now, and you'll understand. Resistance is futile. Uh, I want to introduce you to the other guests, maybe later. I think you and Corey might enjoy talking shop. Why don't we go join the others? Here, take a seat. I think everyone is here now. Thank you, everyone, for coming tonight. It's so lovely to have caught up with all of you a bit already. It's so neat to hear more about everyone's perspective on the relationship between humans and machines that animates so much of our world and lives today. The dynamic is so much more complex than I originally thought. Corey, our conversation reminded me that technology doesn't design itself. The choices we make are more than consumer preferences. They have a serious impact on the future of society, so we can't take these choices lightly. Siri and Bob, you've shown me what a true and optimistic partnership between humans and machines can look like. The integrated future looks so bright with you two. Borg, you've revealed such rich insights into the normative and stereotypical way that you and the collective are viewed. You have truly disrupted my preconceived notions about the collective. I see now that you're not a monolithic, technological goliath barreling towards us to dominate and overtake us. Rather, you're trying to foster an inclusive, representative, responsive way of life. Isn't it funny when we all get together and catch up, we all seem to have more questions than answers at the end? How exciting! Well, we might not get to the bottom of this by the end of this evening, but we can definitely get to the bottom of these martinis. Pass the pasta, please. Just imagine what our discussion would be like if the transhumans were here. Beyond Literacy Radio is a thought experiment conducted by a team of graduate students at the iSchool of the University of Toronto. I'm Michael Ridley, the instructor in the course. For more information and to participate in the dialogue, go to beyondliteracyradio.com and join the conversation on Twitter, at Beyond Literacy.